0: Well, good morning. I found out this morning uh, that when you do this, you have to be a little thick-skinned. I came down this morning and I was dressed as I am. And uh, my boys were at the table. Not that I don't dress like this all the time, but they said, Whoa! Then my one said, said, you don't have any hair. (laughs) My second son said, your tie's too long. And then my other son said, and you smell like a woman. So here I am, a bald guy, not dressed very well, It smells like a woman, ready to give you your message. So will you please join me this morning in prayer as I begin? Lord, um, we come to you this morning from various different experiences, from various different um, things that have happened to us and challenges we're facing. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be present in the here and now, tuned into your Holy Spirit being willing to uh, hear from you and be willing to respond as you intend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what does God look like? Have you ever considered that question? As I said, I have a four- and a six-year-old, and so when I heard this story, I thought to myself that I resonated with it. It's a story of a preschool setting where a um, a teacher was watching her students as they they were drawing Christmas scenes, and she liked to wander around occasionally and, and look at the students' work. And so she came a little along to little Sarah's desk, who was drawing diligently, and she said, Sarah, what are you drawing? And she said, well, I'm drawing God. Teacher paused, thought a minute. But Sarah, no one really knows what God looks like. Sarah responded confidently, they will in a minute. <laughs> it can be hard to comprehend sometimes, really, what God looks like. The gospel of John in fact says no one has seen God and God himself says in Exodus chapter 33 that no one can even see God. And so Moses when he was asked when he asked God to show him his glory, God obliged, but first he had to tuck Moses into the cleft of a rock, put his hand over his back and walk by behind him. And as a result of that little glimpse of God, Moses was able to turn around and was radiating as a result. In fact, Exodus uh, 34, verse 29 says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of his testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Moses was given a simple glimpse of God, not the whole of God, and the result of that was such radiance that he needed to be veiled. When we see even a glimpse of God, we then have the opportunity to reflect that same radiance to other people. So while we may not know what God looks like wholly, we do know and we can certainly reflect on some of what God looks like. Now, Sister Teresa Teresa of Avila in Spain lived in the 1500s, and she wrote this, Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which He looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. We don't often think of ourselves this way, right? I've been sitting in in these pews with you for 15 years, and it's hard to think that we, as we look around, if you look around, look at the hands next to you and the feet next to you, that that is a picture of some of who God is. That we can look around and realize we are, the Christ, we are Christ's hands and feet. Now our mission statement as a church is to help all people take their next step in knowing and following Jesus. I like that statement because of its simplicity. And I like the, that statement because it applies to everybody in this room. And the request and the desire of the church is simply to take one step closer to what God desires for each of us. One step closer. And we want to help to do that. And yet the reality is, unless we take one critical step in mind, unless we desire to take what we believe and what we know to be true and put that into action, we will never get where God hopes that we will become. We will never become what he wants us to be. When we think about this, which is reaching out, acting out, being what Christ wants us to be, that's another, another word for that is outreach. And when we think of outreach, we need to understand a few things. First of all, we need to understand that we are called to act. We're called to act by God. Now, this isn't a universal principle of faith, and it can't even be necessarily um, assumed to be understood. Today, the main passage we're going to look to is one that's often referred to when we talk about the um, pairing of faith and works. And it's in James chapter 2. And you can turn there in your pew Bibles. It's page 1197, and we will read it together. Now while we be focusing we will be focusing on that passage throughout the day. We need to keep in mind that there are various other passages all through scripture both in the Old and New Testament that relate to this and give us a similar mandate. Consider Isaiah chapter 1. In Isaiah God is speaking through Isaiah to His religious people. And He's calling out and He's saying to those religious people, I see your sacrifices. I see your religious practices. I see the things that you're doing. And you know what? They're detestable to me. Instead, what He says in Isaiah 1.17 is this. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. That's a call to act. Consider the story of Good Samaritan in Luke 10, where Jesus asks, who do you think was the neighbor to this man? And the answer is the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus' response was, go and do likewise. That's a call to act. Consider Jesus' response in Mark 12 when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. That is a call to act. Consider 1 John 317 17-19 that says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him? How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with in actions and in truth. That's a call to act. I could go on for the whole day reading passages like this all through Scripture, but instead we're going to explore one of those passages in James uh, chapter 2. And I'm going to start in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds can such a faith save him suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food and if one of you says to him go I wish you well keep warm and well fed but does nothing about his physical needs what good is it in the same way faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead. Now what I just read and if you take that through verse 26 you'll see that faith and works are mentioned together 10 times in 13 verses. And the focus on all of those interactions is on the the interrelationship between faith and works. James is insisting that a living faith will require and will authenticate itself in the production of works. They're not distinct concepts, but they're two inseparable elements of a person's faith journey. Now, apparently, as I read through the different commentaries, James makes, James makes these comments because of the extremes that he saw in the church and in the people of his day. Before their conversion to Christianity, the Jewish believers had shared the prevailing Jewish emphasis, which was focused on works with sacrifices, with the law. And then after their conversion, as they accepted the message of salvation, being by grace alone through faith without meritorious works, They took things to the opposite extreme. And in this passage, James is helping his readers to understand that these things are not mutually exclusive, but instead they are a critical pairing that is the evidence of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. A critical pairing. That's evidence of that power of the gospel in our life. Now then he moves on and he says to dispel any misunderstanding, he says, um, and he brings up a real life practical example. And he cites a need that was common in the day. And the wording indicates that not only is the problem there, the problem of, being, um, of needing food, of needing clothing is there. But the believer who he's speaking to has been made aware of the problem and he has a choice to make. One commentator paraphrased it this way. If a brother or a sister having been in an ongoing destitute condition is found by you in that condition, that's not unlike us. We're going about our lives and all of a sudden we discover there is, there is someone or a group of people or an individual that's in need. And it might be an ongoing pos- uh, situation for them, but now we have been made aware of that condition. And then intentionally address James addresses his readers in an effort actually to make him feel, them feel a little bit uncomfortable. And he says, and one of you says to them, go, I wish you well. Now that phrase, go, I wish you well, was chosen by James. In fact, it's been used at the time. Uh, Jesus himself used it in Luke 7 when he dismissed those that were coming to, to help him. But Jesus did so after he served the needs that were present in the people that came to him. And then for emphasis, James adds clarity that the speaker the speaker of that term, go and well, be, fed, be well fed, knows very clearly what those needs are in the individual that he is looking at by saying, uh, speaking references to the need for food and the need for clothing. Now it's clear in this passage and the other passages that I've read that we are called to act and we're also called to make a decision. Once we're made aware of the needs that are around us, we need to choose whether or not we're going to respond and we get that choice. And that doesn't matter whether or not we are, what age we are. We always get that choice. Now, last week you heard of um, one of the gentlemen who came down with us us to Chicago and when he was in over the summer, um, he got God's prompting to come back and he responded to that and he made the choice to act. I'm going to read um, something to you. It's a shortened version of a true story that happened in 1991. Jeff Leland had their fourth child, Michael, in 1991. And he was offered a position at the same time as the new um, PE teacher at a school called Kamekin Junior High School near Seattle. Six months later, little Michael was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. A bone marrow transplant was required, but because he switched insurance carriers with his new job, their son now fell under a 12-month waiting period, and the transplant benefits were denied, and their coverage for the $200,000 procedure was rejected, despite the fact that their six-year-old daughter was a perfect donor match. How does a teacher come up with $200,000? Well, as part of the new job, Jeff was assigned to the special education class called Adaptive PE. And in that class, there were, it was those for Down syndrome, autism, and a variety of physical and mental disabilities. The second semester of him, him teaching this class, a new boy by the name of Damian was added to the class. Now, Damian did not have any special needs, but he was placed there because the school counselor thought that that would be a safer place for him to be. You see, Damian was rather overweight, and he was a little awkward, and he didn't score very high on the popularity charts in that junior high school. Damien felt safe, though, in that class, and he immediately took the role of assistant, and he helped Jeff in any way that he could. Three months later, Jeff received a devastating report. Little Michael's leukemia was now classified as aggressive, and he needed a transplant immediately, or he would die. They pleaded with everyone they could, and still the insurance company refused to cover the costs. Then on Friday, May 15th, Jeff got a phone call, and Damien stepped into his office. Mr. Leland, he said, if your baby's in trouble, I'm going to help you out. Reaching out, Damien placed 12 $5 bills into Jeff's hands. $60. That was Damien's life savings. The boy, who had mountains of adversity himself, chose instead to focus on someone else's need. Now, to shorten a long story, Damien's gift became a mantra at that school. As a result of his example, the students in that school made a choice, and they rallied together with petitions, with raffles, with walk They put a donation box in every classroom. The Seattle media then caught word of that and the newspapers and television began telling the story of one middle schooler who had the interest of a, a young child at heart and responded to that need. In less than four weeks, from Damien's first donation, $227,000 was raised. More than enough for the transplant. And beyond that, a nonprofit that's now called the Sparrow Clubs is... Is now formed and it operates in schools across the nation. In these clubs, students take the lead, not adults, in making a choice and serving those with critical health care needs. Now we must understand that when we consider outreach, this is a mandate throughout Scripture, and we're called to act on those claims which we say we believe. God is the authority here, and we have the choice to respond. Now, one reason we might not respond is the church can fall into a pitfall pretty quickly when we start talking about the discussion about how we need to care for those around us. In that there is a danger that we could become focused on our works. Let me be clear about this. As clear as I can be, outreach is not about works. Outreach is not about earning our salvation. Outreach is not about trying to please our Heavenly Father. Ephesians 2, 8-10 is very, very clear on this point. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That is what the good news of the gospel is all about. We can spend our lives chasing after goals, but if one of those goals is trying to earn our salvation, it's a simple waste of time. It cannot be done. But I think that's a huge relief. Because I know the burden of my sin. And the, more I, the, the older I get, the more I understand the burden of my own sin. And I realize that now, as a result of the grace of God... That that burden, the burdens of my ungrateful, the hurtful, the painful, the selfish things that I have done in my life, those things don't rest on my shoulders any longer. They're gone. Only through the grace of God. There's nothing I can do to make that happen. Now, we as an evangelical church as a whole, not this church specifically, we as an evangelical church as a whole have had a great fear about this. And we spent some time, even we went through a period where we wouldn't dare go outside of our own walls to help somebody else. Really, the fear there is appearing prideful and in some way, seeing other people look at us in some way, focusing on our works. The fear of losing our foundation of grace. The fear of becoming a church that preached the social gospel. We've seen it in other churches and we didn't want to do it ourselves. And yet, James, if we look at the letter we just were reading, James was addressing that very same need in his day. That has been an ongoing battle. We must remain centered on the truth of salvation through grace alone, while not allowing that to preclude us from going out and serving the needs that we see, that are very real around us. But it's because of that grace... That we need to respond and take a step out in faith and to pass that love of Jesus that we have experienced and turn it around and reflect it to others. Now another reason we might not respond when we consider outreach and making that choice is because we might feel like, I'm not ready. You've heard it, I'm sure. You might have even said it yourself. I know that I really should be doing something, but I'm just not ready. Wait until I finish that Bible study that I'm in, and then when that time frees up, then I'll be able to act on it. Then, maybe I'll be ready. I just need to study a little bit more. I don't feel confident enough. Once I do that, then, then I'll be ready. Well, all throughout Scripture, people felt the same way. Moses, who we just read, got exposure to a glimpse of God Himself, turned around and said, God, not me. Find someone else who's better prepared. I'm not ready. Look how Jesus handled it. In Luke chapter 9, He begins the story of sending 12 disciples out. In Luke chapter 10, He then sends 72 out. He was not content for His disciples to learn without doing. Were they scared when they went out? I think they were. In Scripture, we read about how they had a lot of questions. They were unsure. And yet... Jesus said, go, you need to go, you need to experience. And then what do we read? When they come back, the word says that they returned to Jesus with great joy and shared with Jesus all that they had done. If you wait until you're ready, you'll never go. But it's through going that we become ready for what Jesus has for us next. Finally, let's turn our attention to what happens when we engage in outreach. Two short items and then a main point. First, outreach requires us to be available. My mother-in-law, she just left town. She was excited about, and she spent a lot of time talking to us about this new ministry that she began working with called The Gate, or Gateway, out in Jamestown, New York. And one of the things that she painted on the wall of that old warehouse was a phrase that I will be putting up in my own home, and it goes like this. God is never impressed with success. He is only impressed with obedience. God is never impressed with success. He's only impressed with obedience. What freedom there is in that truth. You and I are not responsible for the outcome. We don't have to worry about what happens as a result of our obedience. What we need to do is simply be obedient. And in order to be obedient... There's a step in that process where we need to remain available. We need to create enough margin in our lives so that we can, when He calls us, take a step and respond in that. So we need to leave enough room. Second, outreach in today's, especially in today's culture, is one of the most effective ways to share Jesus and to glorify our Father in heaven. I worked at Target Headquarters for five years and. I went there after four years of seminary. And what I did there is I assisted buyers and merchandise analysts in their sales projections and various projects. And after leaving seminary, I didn't understand why God sent me into Target. And yet when I was there, it became pretty clear pretty quickly that there were a lot of people there that didn't understand how do I integrate my faith that I hold to be so true and so real with what I do every day in my life. And so we started a workplace ministry called Jesus at Work, and we did it at, at General Mills, and we did it at um, Target, we did it at um, 3M, we did it at a variety of different um, non-pro- or, uh, businesses across the community. When I left Target headquarters, I received a gift that is probably one of my favorite gifts that I've ever received. And it was a picture of the Boundary Waters. It was a, a picture of a sunrise that um, we had experienced in the Boundary Waters. And the sun was gleaming over, the, over the, uh, the lake. And below it, it read, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Our good deeds are not about us and the good things that we do. But it is a response to the radiance that we have seen as our own faces have been stuffed in the clefts of our own rocks, And the opportunity then to share that radiance with other people. And what's the goal there? Not so that people look at us, but it's so that people can turn around and look at the glory of God and be amazed and be stunned by it and glorify our own Father in Heaven. Now finally, outreach leads to the perfection of our faith. Jesus invites us into His almighty plan and asks us to be a part of that drama. Why does he do that? He doesn't need us. He's the creator of the universe. In a minute, he could make everything different, but instead he chooses and says, I would like for you to be a part of what I'm asking you to be a part of. Well, why does he do that? Well, let's turn back to the passage in James chapter 2 that we were looking at, and I'll pick up in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now James is writing something significant about Abraham in this passage. And I think it's easy to skip over that or to miss it as we read through this passage, as we focus on works and faith and all of these different things. Abraham, the father of our faith, the person who upon which we build the foundation of our faith, was demonstrating that faith in and of itself is not enough. And action is required. This isn't something that was obligatory on his part. It was a natural outflow of what he held to be so true. And he responded as a result. He didn't understand, but he responded out of faith. Toward what end? If you read here, it says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and that his faith was made complete by what he did. It was toward completion. Now you could take that word completion, and other translations will put in the word perfecting. That we were called toward perfecting our faith. Or the accomplishing of a goal of his faith. Or in other words, unless that act was done, his faith would not have accomplished what was intended. His faith would not have matured it would have been left without fruit and without result. I believe that this is the key to outreach at it a Free Church. Let's return to our mission statement for a minute. To help people take their next step in knowing and following Jesus. Isn't this about helping people mature in their faith? It's about seeing the hearts of our people wherever they may be, moving ahead toward what God has purposed for their faith, for your faith. We only do that through stepping out and allowing God to work through the experiences that He invites you and I to be a part of. That's how we take those steps. We can learn, we can study, and we need to do those things. But unless that learning, unless that study, unless those things that we know start to sort down and pass, not only just reach our heart, but then pass our heart, reach out and make it to our hands and our feet. It's only through that process that our faith is perfected, as Abraham showed us. Are you familiar with this verse in Philippians chapter 4? I've read it a lot of times. Um, I'm sure many of you have, but I'm going to read it for you here. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The last time I heard that verse, Mona came into the room with a big smile on her face. She's a woman who has a strong faith and has a love for worship and for music. She's part of a Bible study group that comes together every week. And at that Bible study, they share updates with one another. They sing together their favorite worship songs. They share prayer requests. They listen to a lesson from the Bible, and they interact around that lesson with one another. Now, the leader of that group for the day centered on the verse that I just read to you. And there were strong feelings of affirmation in that group after they heard that verse. And they responded with hearty agreement about its point. In all circumstances, we need to be content not only that, we need to give thanks. The Lord, it is the Lord who gives me strength. After that, we went on to share prayer requests. And Mona shared that she still had not find, found her Bible. Now many of us in this room know what it's like to lose our Bible. And the Bible that you spend a lot of your time in, the Bible that you've highlighted everything in, the Bible that you know exactly where everything is, that can be dis- disconcerting, can it? It can be um, upsetting. Well... It can be frustrating, but as I sat there listening to the requests, I was touched when I heard the full request, which read, I have still not found my Bible, but then it continued. And I pray that whoever has found it is reading it and coming closer to Jesus while they have it. And I thought, what a statement of contentment in the midst of circumstance. But that isn't half of it. You see, the reason the prayer request was read is because Mona can't speak very well. She sits in a wheelchair with little function outside of her arms and her head. And she was in a condition that has weakened her entire body to this point where she used to be a teacher for many years. And I was sitting in a room filled with folks who had a variety of different special needs, leaving them with various personal challenges, including physical restrictions and disabilities and emotional hardships. Some had walkers, others had wheelchairs. Some didn't speak at all, and others spoke more freely than you or I would. But there I sat and I listened to the words from the Bible that I had heard many times before, but they had new meaning. I'm not saying this to you because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That group comes together at Robbinsdale Rehab Center and Care Center. It was formerly called Travilla. And the ministry I was witnessing is called Faithlifters. And Beth Moorhead and seven other women are involved in this group. And they go down there three times a month. And they gather up residents from that home. They bring them into a center and they worship together. And it's a worship time that they cherish. You need to understand, this environment is not at all comfortable for me. In fact, it's one of the least comfortable. And yet there I sat after taking a very small step of faith because I was invited to attend. I took a step and I said, I'm going to go attend. And the the result of these eight women who have been taking honorable steps of faith for a number of years. And there I sat and my faith was being perfected. I didn't offer very much to that meeting, but because I took that step, a simple little step, I was able to see the words of Scripture and they came alive in a new way to me because I was faithful. And every one of us are offered those opportunities every single day to take a new step and be offered that new life of your own faith. Jesus wants to perfect our faith. Now when James talks about our faith being dead, another word that you can substitute in there is barren. And it's used in translations, barren, dead, empty. And yet when we begin to do this, we begin to see how true that is, that our faith and our works, faith without works is dead. It's barren. And then we begin to do stuff and new sprouts come up and we look at our word and we're we're studying the same scripture that we've been studying. And we open up this word and we're reading it. We're going, wait a minute, this is becoming more true to me now. And things become exciting. We're invited to become a part of these things, not because He needs our help, but because God has a lot of perfecting to do in our hearts. So we as Christians are called to act. It isn't about our works, but it's about God perfecting our faith through putting it into action. And it gets messy when we do that. But new life is breathed into us as we reach out. Now, why is that a free church? We've got to be intentional we've got to be available, and we've got to act. We've got to find out what everyone in this room is doing. We've got to connect with our local community. We've got to connect with our region. We've got to connect overseas, even more intentionally than we are now. We've got to provide opportunities for people to easily plug in and experience some of these things, and then follow up with people when they return. How often have you returned from a short-term mission trip and then are seeking, what, what, what can I do now? I've been experiencing this for 10 days, and I want to keep living it. Well, let's find places for that to be, kept, to be let, lived out. We need to even use our space well and reach out to other people. But then we need to begin telling those stories. And we need to hear how God is working. Not just what he does, not the, the specific things that are accomplished. That's important. We need to know that 34,000 meals were packed last year, and we're probably going to double that this year. That's a good thing. But then let's tell the story of what God did in the hearts of people as you were packing, as you understood what it means to be hungry, as you understood that the pack of rice that you're going to send is going to touch the life of someone else on an ongoing basis. So I'm going to put up some action steps here. And I want you to think about these things, and you can write those down in your notes section or your bulletin. When was the last time that you reached out to someone because they were in need? And think about that. When was that last time? But then I want you to take that experience and think about it. How did God use that experience? What was accomplished? Sure. Look at those things. Think about those things. Write them down. And then ask yourself, what did God do in your heart and in the hearts of others as a result of that experience? And then this week, I want you to take that and I want you to talk to somebody about it and tell somebody about it. Pick somebody, whether it's your spouse or a friend or a family member, maybe it's your small group or your life group that's beginning to meet, and take that time and focus on telling the stories of what God is doing in your heart. And then ask the question what is God inviting you to be a part of now or next week or this year? And ask yourself if you're going to be obedient. Moses, when he saw a glimpse of God, he radiated his glory. It wasn't a complete picture of God, but it was a glimpse. We discuss today how we are invited to be that glimpse of God to other people through being His hands and feet. And we're called to do so all throughout Scripture, not so that we can win the approval of God, but out of thanksgiving for what He has done for you and I in our own lives. As we go, let us shine. Let us serve and let us give Him opportunities to perfect our faith in the field of life. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for you and for how you act in each of our lives. Lord, I pray that you continue to use us. Help us to know that these hands and these feet are not yours, but they are not ours, but they are yours. And I pray that we would use them for that end. In Jesus' name.